What an amazing morning already. Just the presence of the Lord in the house. How many just sense God's presence so thick, so heavy? One of the, one of the words, one of the Old Testament words for glory is kabod, which literally means heaviness. How many just sense the heaviness of God in the building already today? Amen. How many know that presence is not automatic? It has to be pressed into. And there's something about hungry people that create an atmosphere or an environment or a climate for the power of God to begin to manifest. When Viva was sharing about the mindset, I thought, wow, what an atmosphere to just press into that a little bit and just begin to break those things down. I thought she was going to preach there for a moment. How many just felt that? She was preaching. It was really good. And then Pastor Tina begins to share about how we can be set free when the presence, when Jesus shows up into our atmosphere, things can be unlocked. Things can be clothed in their right mind. Amen? I believe. Look at somebody next to you and tell them you came on the right day. You came on the right day today. Amen. Amen. We missed you guys last Sunday. We were on vacation, hanging out, out at the beach a little bit with our kids and grandkids. Karen and I came back a few days early just to be here today. Our kids are still over there. They'll be working their way back soon, but it's just good to be here. I know Pastor Mark brought an amazing word last week. I watched it online. Amen. Just advancing the calls. We're continuing to advance the calls. Hallelujah. Thank God for what he's doing. Everything this summer in July is kind of shut down. We don't have no prayer meetings. We'll kick all that back off in August, but uh, the church is still advancing. The things of God are still happening. Amen. Hallelujah. So we just welcome you again today. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for praying for us while we've been away. It's been good to lay on the beach for a couple of days. <laughs> I feel like a beached whale. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's good to be back home. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. It's good to be around people that I love, that we love dearly. Amen. And we got a special guest in the building today. I don't know if y'all had a chance to meet her. You know her parents. Right over here to my right is uh, Raylan Callahan. Raylan, will you just stand up and kind of let everybody see you right there? Raylan Callahan. She was hitchhiking from Jensen Beach, and Micah found her over there on the road hitchhiking, and he went over and picked her up real quick. Her parents are pastors Archie and Tangie Callahan in Virginia Beach. They pastor an amazing church there. They're down on vacation. Pastor Archie and Tangie have been here numerous times. They've actually done our, uh, our, our wedding getaway, not wedding, or what do you call it, our couples getaway. You got to be married to get away. It's our couple's getaway, and they've done that. Pastor Archie's preached here several times. Pastor Tangie has sung here multiple times. They have an incredible church there in Virginia Beach, and they're out relaxing. Karen, I'll be meeting with them probably tomorrow at some point. So it's just good to have you. God bless you. Welcome to Clouston. Amen. Now you qualify for heaven. All that stuff y'all got up there in Virginia, just been on the outskirts of God's glory. Now you've been in it. Hallelujah. So it's good to have you today. Hallelujah. Well, I feel like I got a word for you today. Is that all right? Why don't you just stand to your feet and grab your Bibles this morning. And uh, I want to go first to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And I'm going to run a couple of scriptures by you today. Um, I was here on July 4th, that Sunday, and I, and I, I, I even kind of gave you a heads up of the, the theme that I was about to get into. And... Um, I've just been working on it, praying it through, and just trying to see what God is saying to us, because I believe that the church 
in particularly the church in America is about to come alive again. I'll wait on about three more amens on that one. I believe it's about to come alive again. So I, I want to work on a few things today, and uh, I'm going to get really into some deep stuff with you today. And it's going to be touchy, it's going to be sensitive, and it's going to be on purpose. It's going to be on purpose because I'm after every lying spirit, every demonic spirit that's attacking the church in our nation. And I believe the power of God is about to flow through the church again. I don't believe it's ever stopped flowing, but I believe we're about to have a revisit. Amen. So Ezekiel 47, and I'm going to use this, and then we're going to jump back over to our theme verse in Psalms. But I'm just going to read a few verses here. Ezekiel 47, verse number 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from, un from the right side of the house, from the south side of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gate by the way of the gate that faces east. And behold, the water was trickling from the south side. And when a man went out towards the east with a line in his hand, he began to measure a thousand cubits. And he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. And again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, water reaching the knees. And again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, reaching the loins or the waist. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river. Somebody shout, it was a river. It was a river that I could not ford, or one river that I could not cross. For the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. I'm telling you, there's about to be a move of God that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, the bank on the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region and go down into the Areba, and they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. The same word for healed. That's what, what Pastor Tina was praying about this morning. There's a healing in the mindsets. There's a healing taking place. And it will come about that, the, that every living creature that swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish for these waters go there and others become fresh. So everything will live. Somebody shout everything. Everything will live where the river goes. Wherever the, the river is the movement of God, it's the presence of God. Wherever the presence of God goes, life begins to appear. And it came about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to England. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh or healed. They will be left for salt. And by the river on its banks, one on the one side and one on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. And their leaves will not wither. And their fruit will not fail. And they will bear fruit every month. Because the waters flows from the sanctuary. I'm going to say that again. Because the waters are flowing 
from the church. The presence of God is coming out of the church. And their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. Notice that there's a river flowing from the church. There's a river flowing out of the church. It's not just enough to get God in the church, but we got to let God flow out of the church. And there's a presence that's coming. I'm just trying to prophesy to you a little bit. There's a presence that's invading the churches in our nation, and it's about to spill over into our land. And everything that that presence begins to touch is going to be healed in the name of Jesus. There's a movement of God. There's a stirring of the movement of God back into our land. Amen? Now look with me in Psalms, if you would. I'm just going to pick one verse out. This is where we were several weeks ago. has nothing to do with what I preached about last week other than the title. Psalms 85, verse number 6. It says, Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revive us again. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Lord, revive us again. Will you just push on about three people and tell them we need to be revived again? Just tell them. Come on, now will you find about three people that you haven't spoken to all morning? Tell them, Lord, do it again. Just do it again. Do it again. Revive us again in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. Father, this morning we thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do in this place. Thank you, Lord, that your presence has already been manifested. You're here. Lord, you're not on your way. You're Jehovah Shema. You're the God that's here. Lord, you're not trying to get here. You're here. Lord, we thank you today that you've already proven yourself. The glory of God is here in this house today. Thank you today. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, the teacher. You're the revelator, the communicator. You're the revealer of all truth. Lord, there's only one truth, and that's you. Everything else flows out of you. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. And we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise for it now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. Revive us again. Let me just begin to lay a little bit of foundation for you this morning as we work towards where we're going. The book of Ezekiel is about a nation that had fallen into a religious decline. Not only did they fall into a religious decline, they fell into a governmental decline as well as a national decline, a family decline. And part of that was because of the designated spheres of authority in God's kingdom, which was at that point in time was the temple of God, or what we would call in our day the house of God or the church of God, the temple of God, the spheres of authority of that day had refused to follow the statutes and the commandments of God's word. And because there was no word in the house of God that was being followed, no instructions that was being followed from the house of God, it, it, it resulted into a religious decline, into a governmental decline and a family decline in a nation. So God comes along and he begins to speak to Ezekiel because, ladies and gentlemen, you have to know that God always starts with his people first. God always starts in his house first. God never starts first in the courthouse. He never starts in the White House. He always starts in your house. He starts in my house, and he starts in his house. God will always start with the chaos in his house first 
before he deals with the chaos out there. And so we find this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's message is coming now. He's prophesying to a demoralized remnant of people. He's prophesying to the remnant of Judah that had become exiled into Babylon. They were living in a Babylonian culture. And the theme of his message is for each individual. This is what Ezekiel's prophesying about. If you follow the narrative all throughout the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the theme of his message is that he's prophesying to each and every individual to take a moral responsibility for the national calamity that's in their land. And he's prophesying to them that you have to take on a responsibility for what's going on in the land. In other words, every individual is responsible for their own sin. Thought I'd get one or two more amens right there. Every individual is responsible for their own sin. We live it, we're living in a, a, a blame society. You got to blame everybody, but you don't take responsibility. And, and, and Ezekiel comes along, he could, be, he could be dropped right down in the 21st century in America in the church, and he can be saying that to the church. You have to take responsibility for where you're at with your sin. The calamity that you see out there is the result of the calamity that is going on in here. And when you begin to take personal responsibility for what's going on in here, we can change what's going on out there. So he's coming with these words. So the theme of his message is, and, and the weight of his message, it, it, it's, the, it's the cumulative weight of the sin of every individual which begins to contribute to the breaking of God's covenant with Israel. That's why Israel gets exiled into Babylon. God, don't ever think that God can't handle his enemies. But God will let his enemies overthrow the church until the church can learn how to wake up. And when the church gets revived again, God will come back and visit his house and say, what I started for you in the beginning, I'll finish for you in the end. And so there, there's, there, there, the reason why they were in exile is because they had refused. <clears throat> excuse me, my, we're working on my voice here. They had refused to come into alignment. I heard Viva say that. They had refused to come into alignment with God's word. Everything else became more important than God's word. So now you have, over time, a nation in calamity, not because the devil is bigger than God. It's not because the enemies are more powerful than God. It's not because of even bad government. It's because the church refused to take their responsibility and their place in the earth and begin to move the movements of God beyond the four walls of their meeting place. And so now, the, in other words, until, let me just work it out a little bit. Are we still on the same track here? Until we as the people of God understand and get the agenda of the kingdom's priorities in order, the order of the culture will never happen. Until the priorities of God's kingdom comes into order with God's people, the order of the culture 
will always be in chaos. And the chaos of the culture will override the authority of the church when the church is not in line with God. 1 Peter 4.17, we know this is to be on the screen. It says, time, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. It begins with us first. God's not going to deal with the White House until he starts talking to you about your house. And we can't talk about a movement in America until we have a movement in the church. And if we don't get a movement in the church, then whatever we pray about is in vain. Whatever we prophesy is in vain. Whatever we sing about is in vain. Because God is going to come to his house first. And when the church gets lit, hey, talk to me up in here. When the church gets revived, when the church gets on fire, then we can step out into enemy-held territory and say, devil, we're coming after you, and we're coming after your lies, we're coming after your propaganda, and we are coming with a vengeance because revival will be our revenge. That's where we're coming. That's where we're coming. Push on somebody and tell them, revive us now. Revive us. Revive us again. The reason why... Our culture is drying up spiritually. The reason why our culture is drying up governmentally. The reason why our culture is drying up in their families. It's because there's no spiritual water flowing into the sanctuary. And because it's not flowing in the sanctuary, it's not flowing into the world. It's not flowing into the nation. And until we get the water flowing, watch me now. Don't check out on me. I know we got some vacationers out there. Until we get the water flowing down the aisles of the church, we can't get the water to flow through the streets of our cities. I got about three amens right here. Thank you, Sandra. Janae, y'all keep working with me. The rest of them are on vacation still. We're going to bring them out in a minute. We got to get the movement of God in the aisles of our churches so we can get the movement of God in the streets of our cities. If God's presence doesn't show up first among his people, how can he show up in our neighborhoods? How, how can he show up in our cities? How can he show up in our nations? How can he show up in our families? If we can't get the church revived, if we can't get the church moving in the direction that God is trying to move it to, then everything in our world around us stays in chaos. That's why the church has to be revived. So the answer is not a secret. The answer to our culture is more than legislation. It's more than equality. It's more than reform. All those things are not bad. They're all good in them and of themselves. It's not, they're not all bad. Some of them need to be reevaluated, but, but not all that is bad. We, we, we probably need better legislation. We probably need better reform in certain areas. We probably need a whole lot more things that are working for the favor of mankind. It's not that those things are bad, but those things don't save. The depravity of our culture, now hang on to me now, don't lose me right here. 
The depravity of our culture is the result of sin. <laughs> That's a cuss word in the modern day church in America because we don't want to talk about sin because we don't want to offend nobody. We want everybody to like the preacher, right? We don't want the preacher to offend nobody. But I want to tell you something. You're living in a world full of sin. And, and, and the, the depravity of our culture is the result of sin. Now watch this. And we know this. It's been in church any length of time. Jesus is the cure for sin. Jesus is the, is the cleansing agent for sin. John the Baptist said in John 1.29, he saw him coming, walking over the hillside when he was in Bethany, baptizing in the Jordan River. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's only one person that can take away the sin of the world, and that is Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised again on the third day. There's only one person that has the ability to remove the sin in the world. We don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have an economic problem. We have a sin problem, and until the church church begins to recognize we can't be like what's out there. We got to have a river flowing in here so we can take what we got in here and let it spill out over there until the whole world knows that Jesus Christ is the answer. Push on somebody and tell them revive us again now. Revive us again. Revive us. The depravity. And now watch this. So the church is the only one that can manifest Jesus. Your government's not going to manifest him. Laws and legislation, they can reflect it, but they cannot manifest it. And it's going to take the church to manifest the presence of Jesus. You can have laws that are accordance to the word of God and thank God for it, and I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, if you don't do what's written in this book, if you don't hold these, if you don't hold the word of God, let it change your way of thinking. It don't matter how much legislation you pass until the church walks to a different drum beat, until the church looks different than what we've been called out of. There is no hope for a nation. There's no hope for a family. There's no hope for a culture. But if you can put the blood on it, if you can put Jesus by it, Everything else will be cleansed. It takes the church. Let me show you something. Look with me in Matthew. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. I'm going to preach in a minute. Hang out with me. Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 13. We know this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless. I remember that salt is, uh, adds flavor. Right? That's why you put that salt on beans, right? You add some flavor to it. But salt is also a preservative. But if the salt loses its flavor, if it becomes tasteless, this is what Jesus is saying. And he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. If the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You are, push on somebody and tell him he's talking to you now. You are the light of the world. Talking to you. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. <laughs> Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a lamp gives light to all those who are in the house. 
Verse number 16, here we go now. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The world is looking to the church. The world needs the church. Y'all got to help me up in here. That's why we got to deal with what's in the church house. If we can deal with what's in the church house and get the river flowing out of the sanctuary in the church. He said, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You are not forsaken. You're not hidden under a bucket. You are, you are a lampstand. You are made to shine bright and let the world see you shine. Let the world see you burn and burn brighter and brighter so that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. The world can't see the Father. The world don't know what Jesus is like, but they can sure track the church. Now, let's just throw that down a little bit in the message translation. Let's just work it out in the message translation. It says, let me tell you why you're here. <laughs> Push on somebody and tell them, let me tell you why. You're here. This is Jesus talking now. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your season, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? If, if you've lost your useful, if, if, if you, you've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Oh Lord, don't know if y'all like the message right now. Where's verse number 15 at guys? Is it in there? Where am I at? I'm not reading it. Where am I at? All right, here, here's another way to put it. <laughs> this is Jesus just making his point. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. <laughs> We're going public with this thing, baby. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a lampstand. Now that you've put there, uh, up there on a hilltop on a lampstand, shine, shine. Keep on. Keep open. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others, and you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father which is in heaven. I love the phrase, we about to go public with this thing. You know why we about to go public with this thing? It's because we about to get revived. We're about to have a move of God in the sanctuary. And when the sanctuary comes alive, we're not just going to keep our light in here, but we're bringing it out there to a darkened world. And we're coming out there and we're going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter that they may see our Father. public if we don't go public then our silence becomes a victory for the enemy amen part of our issue just talking to the church now and this night just started y'all we got people watching us from all over the world part of our issue is that the church continues to compromise the fundamental tenets of our faith. The problem in America is not who we elect to run a nation. 
Because God has ran his people with dictators. The nation of Israel has flourished under, in our day, communist rule. The church in China is growing at an exponential rate, and they're not even allowed to have open church services. The church in Iran has exploded. The church in Iraq has exploded. The church in Saudi Arabia has exploded. Watch what I'm about to tell you. The church in Cuba is about to explode. Because God ain't never been deferred by who's in office. I thank God when we got the right people in office because it sure makes it a better living. But at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is not dictated by who's in the White House. It's dictated by what's in his house. And as long as we got God in our house, we can put God in their house. So we, we got these, 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 this compromising spirit in the church of the fundamentals of our faith. We now have, I'm going to break it down, just work with me for a little bit. We now have evangelicals questioning scripture. That was once firm, affirmed as absolute standards for biblical morality. We have evangel evangelical pastors and preachers who have compromised the tenets of the faith to get along with the culture. You don't win the culture by being like the culture. You win the culture by being set apart from the culture. Well, I just want everybody to like me. Jesus was not crucified because he was liked by everybody. Jesus was crucified because he was controversial. Yeah, we just want everybody to love everybody. Listen, God loves you. He loves everybody. But he is not going to bend on his commandments. He's not going to bend on his promises. Okay. Okay, let me, let me get where I'm going. Things like, and I'm just going to pick out one today because it's current. Things like, this is the bending of the fundamentals. Things like, y'all hang on to me now. Things like homosexuality. And how some believe that God's going to bless that. Getting quiet up in this Presbyterian church now. I'm coming down that lane. I ain't scared of you coming. Understand now, I'm not questioning God's love for those who practice it. God's love for homosexuality, lesbianism, transgender, LGBTQ. He loves them all. He don't love them any more or less than he loves you. And God ain't no more mad at them than he is mad at you. He can't get with their practices. He can't get with their agenda. But as an intrinsic valued person of God, he loves them just the same. God's love for all of us, is totally, 100% unconditional. So for a church to hate the gay community is in sin. 
I can hate what they do just like I hate everything else that ain't right in the eyes of God. His love is not being questioned. But his standards for acceptable living has to be questioned. Now watch this. It's amazing how God just works with me on certain things. But, but I was just looking at all this because we have mainline denominational churches that have crossed the line of compromise, that have endorsed homosexual pastors. And we could go down that list. I, I brought the list with me. I could go down that list. That's not important right now. Mainline denominations have endorsed bishops, preachers, and pastors. And we're supposed to sit back and act like that's all right? The devil is a lie. That's not all right. They're in sin. And sin is sin. It don't matter if you're lying or you're full of pride. It's sin. It doesn't matter if you're you're an adulterer or if you're fornicating. That means sex outside of marriage. It's still sin. God don't love you any less or any more than he loves them. It's still sin. It's still sin when you cheat on your tithes. Those of you who are believers in God and you're not tithing, guess what? You're in sin. You're cheaters. You're thieves. That's what God calls you. Yeah? I'm just trying to make my point that God's not mad at the gay community. But there are some agendas. And just because God loves us unconditionally doesn't mean he accepts unconditionally our practices, our values, and our sinful expressions. I was uh, was thinking about this while we were on vacation. I think Brittany brought it to my attention. I didn't know it. I was really not on social media out there in Noah's world, the ocean. Well, Karen might have brought it to my attention. But either last week or the week before that, there was a song released by the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. Just want you to know, they have an agenda. They have an agenda. It's not just people looking for love. They're looking for an agenda. And let me just read you some of the words of the gay men's chorus that they released on YouTube. He says, you think we're sinful. This is a song now. It's not words. This is a song. Of course, I'm not going to sing it, but (laughs) I don't have the right keys up here on me right now. I just can't do it. This is a song. So just kind of imagine in your mind, this is a song. You think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead our lives you can't respect, but you're scared. You think we'll corrupt your children if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're right. We will convert your children. It happens little by little, quietly and subtly, and, we, and you will hardly even notice. You, can't keep them, you can keep them away from disco, and you can warn, warn them about San Francisco. You can make them wear pleated plants pants. We don't care. We will convert your children and we will make them tolerant and fair. Just like you're worried they'll change their friend group, you won't approve of where they go at night and you'll be disgusted when you start finding out the things online that you kept. 
out of their sight. This is what they said in their course. We're coming after your children. We're coming for them. We're coming after your children. And your children will work to convert their sisters. Your children will work to convert their brothers. And soon, with almost certain, your kids will start converting you. The gay agenda is coming home. The, j the gay agenda is here. We're coming after your children. Now, you can just scroll on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Act like that don't bother you. Well, I'm telling you what, it bothers me. It bothers me to the core of my being. Because I want to say to them, you can come after our children, but we're coming after you. We are coming after you. And we are coming after you with all the love and the support of God that we have. And we're not going, we're going to pray hedge of protection around our children. We're going to believe God to protect our children. We're going to believe that our children are going to be blessed and taught of the Lord. And great shall be their peace. But we're coming and we're coming and we're coming and we're not going to stay quiet about it. Talk to me up in here. The church has been quiet way too long. We're not going to sit back and roll over and act like that don't matter. It does matter because you got to agenda and we do too and we're coming we're coming we're coming that's my response I'm saying you bring it and we're going to bring it and we're going to meet in the middle and let the God who answers by fire let him be God that's how you have to deal with it but now watch this the church placates to that that's why they endorse sin in the pulpits. And then we get sin in the church. And we wonder why there's no flow of the river of God coming out of the sanctuary and into our culture. Our culture looks like the church. Woo. Push on somebody, tell them we need to be revived now. I, I, I got more. I, I'm desperately running out of time. This is the danger. And I'm just picking on one. We could go. I, I might even go to others next week, but I'm just picking on one because it's in our face. They ain't censoring them, but they gonna censor you. Say something bad about it, negative about it. But yet they'll dress up a bunch of hairy men and put them in a library of three-year-olds and tell them read books to our kids. In England right now, they got gay men dressed up in costumes with genital things that are showing everywhere, and they're reading books to their kids because the church is compromised. Come on, Ezekiel. We're trying to get the water to flow. Let me just give you a couple of things, and, and I, I don't, we could read it. Just If you're taking notes, if you want to know if homosexuality is a sin, here's a few scriptures. Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 20:13. If you want to move over into the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. All those deal with homosexuality. Because it's a sin. I'm trying to help this church because the younger our church gets, the more we have to battle. Because our young people have been indoctrinated. They're getting indoctrinated in their schools. And they're getting indoctrinated through Marxism. They're getting indoctrinated through social media. And then they go off to college and they get indoctrinated. Indoctrinated with people. Watch it. Who don't, it's not just that they don't love America. It's that they don't love Christ. 
Because anybody can acclaim God because there are many gods. But when you put Jesus on it, when you begin to talk about Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the, the field gets a little bit more narrow. And it's safe to say God, but you're going to be a target if you talk about Jesus. Yeah? So, so there's some scriptures there, and there's more. I just didn't want to take time. to. But, but let me give you these six points that were laid out. This is not my message. I'm just trying to make a point to make a point. This is the six-point agenda that was laid out by the LGBTQ community from 1989. They said, number one, this is, what, this is their agenda. Talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. People will become tired of the issue and give us anything we want just to shut us up. That's what they said. That's what they said. Number two, portray gays as victims, not as aggressive, not as aggressive challengers. They said things like exploit things such as the murder of Matthew Shepard, who was murdered in 1998 as a, as, a, as a university student at the University of Wyoming who was beaten up and murdered because he was gay. And so they were saying things like exploit the murder of Matthew Shepard. Use words to build compassion for those trapped in this lifestyle. This is their agenda. Number three, give homosexual protectors a just cause. This was designed to tap in and exploit the innate sense of fairness that Americans have. They all cheer for the underdog and the disenfranchised. This agenda was well thought out. Number four, make gays look good. Put them in every media, campaigns, television, programs. Always portray homosexuals as the most normal, stable, hippest, happiest person in America. Tell me that ain't happening. You can't even watch a, you can't even watch a commercial now. Make the victims, number five, make the victims look bad. Portray people of faith as homophobic and bigots. Muddy the moral waters by getting liberal churches to say homosexual behavior is fine. Get them in leadership in these churches so you can divide and conquer them. This came out in 1989. Hmm. Number six, get funds from corporate America. Get all the tax corporate dollars possible by any means possible. We're 32 years removed from that agenda. And ladies and gentlemen, because they stuck together and they stuck it out, they're getting what they demanded. And I'm not, I'm not faulting people as a person. I'm just saying this agenda is sin. And the younger our congregation gets, the more we have to battle this because they, they, they view it as acceptable. And now what they do is they try to bend God's word to the culture. They try to take the cultural paradigms, ideologies, and push it into the framework of the gospel. Listen, all sin is rooted in, in, in false identity. All sin is. So, so the, the person struggle with homosexuality, and Cecil Jackman's over here. He works with a group of them every single day of his life, and he is doing an amazing work. He's got people online that he's working with, people that he counsels, people that he mentors. And I'm telling you, there is a massive work that's going on in the gay agenda because we realize, we understand that their freedom can only come through Christ, not another agenda. 
So, so the cry, is this all right? I feel like I hit a nerve here, so I'm going to stay on it. The cry of the homosexual movement is to separate this from a morality issue to a civil rights issue. That's what they're trying to do. And they will do that. And that will happen because the church has adopted that mentality. Because the church says it's okay. You were born that way. Can I give you a late bulletin? There has, with all the scientific study that's been done around the world, they cannot find one gay gene in anybody that they have been looking for. It does not exist. It don't exist. But we're going to change the word? And then we're going to breathe life into a culture? Are you kidding me? You better stick to this word. You better adhere to this word. This word better be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You say, well, I got friends that are homosexual. I do too. But I don't change what I believe based on their struggle. And that wouldn't it be foolish? Like if you got a friend that they're fornicating, they're having sex outside of marriage, and you say, well, it's okay, you in love. It ain't okay if you're a Christian. It's not okay. It will never be okay. It is sex outside of the definement of marriage, and it's never okay no matter how much you love them. I'm preaching a lot harder, and y'all should be throwing books and babies and Bibles right about now. And it's not that God don't love us. He's just saying, I'm trying to get a nation out of calamity. I'm trying to get the river flowing into a nation that wherever the river goes, life begins to appear because the hope of humanity is not in legislation, it's not in civil rights, it's not in morality. The hope of humanity is found in the presence of an almighty God that's flowing through dead places. It's where it's at, it's where it's found. And you can spin it like our world does, you can throw it off like our world does, but I want to tell you, you'll never get past your own conviction. You'll never move one inch beyond the level that God's dealing with you at right here and right now. You can say, well, that ain't me. That don't have to be me. I want to tell you, at the end of the day, it's the corporate sin that God is dealing with that begins to trickle down to an individual sin. Oh, Lord. So no matter how much the language changes, and I want to help y'all, from sexual preference, alternative lifestyle, sexual identity, gender dysphoria, or gender fluid. The goal is to completely remove any responsibility or any indication of choice by the person for their lifestyle. You have to take responsibility. I have to take responsibility for my sin. When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. When we all get to heaven, and you stand there beside Fred, you're going to say, Lord, he made me do it. He's going to say, uh-uh. That held true in your culture, but it don't hold true in the council of the heavenlies. Lord, I just wanted my friends to be accepted. Uh-uh, that holds true in your culture. The best way that you can win your friends 
to a council of the heavenlies on a good merit is to make sure that they see something in you that's different than what they're getting by themselves. Amen. Preach on, preacher. <laughs> if you can't force acceptance without repentance. Can't do it. If we don't call sin what it is, then we have to make excuses or make allowance for every other sin. And then we send a message to our culture that everything's relevant. And it's not. Everything is truth. And it's not. If, if, we, if we keep bending it, then, then we'll, have to, we'll have to have a church for just adulterers. Imagine that, bring my wife to church. Get ready, you're going to get cheated on. Amen. Y'all quiet in here, I don't care. I've been in the presence of the Lord. Y'all ain't intimidating me. The problem with the modern day American church is we don't hear truth. We hear feel good, bless me, bless me, bless me. I'm trying to tell you how God will bless you. Get according to the word of God and hold to the truths of these biblical standards and watch God use you to shine light in the midst of chaos and darkness. That's how he does it. How many know that if we don't change it, how many know the incest will be acceptable? Oh, just go have sex with your kids. Where's the boundary line? Who cares? Oh, bestiality, that's next, that's coming. It all happened in the Bible. If it happened here, I bet you $100 it's going to happen here. There are already people having sex with animals. I don't even have to make it happen. It's already happening. You can Google it. You can watch it. <laughs> we have a church of bestiality. Bring your animal. You see what I'm saying? I'm just saying the church has to get the river flowing in the sanctuary. And the reason why Ezekiel had to prophesy to his nation that was in calamity, living in exile and in a Babylonian culture, it's not because God was trying to punish them. It's because they refused to hold to the standards of the word of God. And God said, okay, I'm going to let your enemies overthrow you until you learn how to repent. And when you learn how to repent, I'm going to revive you. And when I revive you, I'm going to let my sanctuary become an open place where my presence will spill out into every city, every village, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Amen. <laughs> and careful, we'll have to start accepting polygamy. <laughs> Some of y'all say, I'm moving to Utah. <laughs> Become a Mormon. Have me a bunch of wives. Go ahead. That's suicide. <laughs> That's playing Russian roulette with a loaded gun. <laughs> you can't handle the one, so you're going to get another one? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I need to quit. Come on, Pastor Porter. Y'all done got me meddling. Understand this. God would never condemn people for something they could not help. Homosexuality is like any other sin. Jesus died for it. It's not going to condemn somebody if they could help it. So I'm calling for, Lord, revive us again. Revive the church 
again. May there be such a standard in our walk with God that I don't even have to question whose camp you're living in. It's got to be such a holy reverence towards the things of God so we can get the river moving in the sanctuary. Because watch this. Everything in the sanctuary is automatically healed when the river gets there. The struggles, the trials, the trauma, COVID-19, God begins to move us. We've been in a natural lockdown for a long time. How many would agree with me? But I want to tell you something. The church has been in a spiritual lockdown a lot longer. And just as quickly as COVID-19 was spreading, you think that was a fast spread. You wait until revival. You wait until the church gets turned on. You're going to talk about a massive super spreader of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are coming back into the world and we are saying, you tried to silence us. You tried to censor us. You tried to put us down. But we are coming and we're going to let our light shine in the midst of darkness until everybody knows that there is a God in heaven. And there is a God that saves. There is a God that loves. And there is a God that delivers. Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together and jump up on your feet and give God a praise one time. Come on, if you believe it, give God a praise one time. Come on, I'm going to wait on you. Get revived one time and give God a praise. Come on, come on. Praise Him like you know you got something inside of you. Praise Him like you feel like you're about to take something over. Come on, where's the church? Come on, come on. I'm going to give you about a minute to get with it. Come on, come on, lift your voice like a trumpet. We're going to believe God. Revive us again, oh God. Revive us in the midst of our years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's coming. It's coming. I got, I really got, I do. You can ask Ariana, she's back there. But there she is. She put them together for me. I got five prophetic insights out of Ezekiel. Five prophetic insights on what that river will do when we get revived and what's going to happen in the life of the church. If y'all got time, I'll preach it to you now. Judging by your lack of response, you want to wait until next Sunday. <laughs> Which I'm okay with that too. My heart is stirred. My heart is moved. I don't believe God's trying to condemn America. I believe he's trying to save it. I don't believe God's against America. I believe he's actually for it. But America, as any other nation, don't have a chance without the church in it. In 19... 41 through 1945 in, in, in Nazi Germany there arose what they called the Confessing Church Dietrich Bonhart, Bonhoeffer was a part of that and then out of that the Confessing Church there arose a compromising church 
And I, I'll talk more about some of that next week. When the church began to adapt the culture into its segment. And out of 18,000 pastors in Nazi Germany, out of 18,000 pastors, they all defected except for 5,000 to the compromising church. You want to know why Hitler gained power? It's because the church became silent. When the church became silent, evil began to manifest. And it always will. Until a remnant can pull it back together. Because that's what Ezekiel was prophesying to. Wasn't a whole lot of folks, but there was some. There was some who were holding out. I just believe today I'm preaching to some. To some that are holding out. Say, we're going to believe this come hell or high water. We're going to put our foot down. And we're going to believe God that in the midst of our day, we're going to see revival. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see outpourings. We're going to see people slain in the Holy Ghost. We're going to see all-night prayer meetings. We're going to see worship services that be prolonged. We're going to have signs and wonders. When people pull off the property, they're going to have to have an usher because the power of God is going to be so evident. I'm telling you, I know what I heard in my spirit. God is coming for his people. Judgment is beginning in the house of God. And when people begin to turn... When people begin to repent, there's a river. There's a river. There's a river. Jesus said it this way. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. There's a river that's about to flow up out of this house. Come on, if you believe that, give God a praise. Come on, praise him like you know there's a river. Praise him like you know something is about to shift in your life. We can do Paying this stuff off from 20 months and building another building, that's just icing on the cake. That ain't no big deal. We're going to build the best-looking building in Henry County. Y'all know that, right? Amen. It's going to be the best-looking building. But that's just brick and mortar and metal. That's just brick, mortar, and metal. If, if the presence don't fill the temple, Come on. That's right. then we can right. turn it into a sheep shed. That's what Bishop used to call it, just an old sheep shed. You can turn it into a bowling alley. You can turn this into a real fine bowling alley. Huh? But when God's presence comes alive, when the power of God gets activated in men and women's hearts, then all of a sudden it begins to spill out and everything that the river touches comes alive. One translation says, everywhere the river goes, there's healing. Healing is flowing. Come on, one more time. Lift your hands all over the building. I want more. I want more. I'm not satisfied. I want more. I'm not satisfied. And I want more. Jesus, Jesus, I want more.
believe as we close out this day, this service, the river of God is rising. And if you notice in Ezekiel's narrative, the more they measured out, the deeper it got. The most shallow place of God's river was in his house. But the more it got out, the deeper it got. When homosexuality collides with the river of God, guess who wins? this right here and then we're going to go but one of the ways even in the natural you get the river to rise you got to worship because Job said our worship is like moisture that gets sucked up into the sun and then begins to impregnate the clouds and when the clouds get so heavy it begins to draw things like what we call rain and when it begins to rain, the rivers begin to rise. So in a spiritual metaphor, when we begin to worship him, that's what we did this morning. That's why, whoo, the prophetic was flowing. Miracles were taking place in people's minds because there was worship in the house. And the clouds became impregnated whoo, with the worship of God. And as we continued to worship, they got so heavy. Kabod, the glory got so heavy, it began to release, and the river kept rising. No worship, no rain. No rain, no river. That's why we're coming to a place that's in our lives. And I'm not just talking about in a church service where we worship. My worship with God is with my life. I don't just worship God on Sunday morning. I worship God when I'm sitting in front of the TV by myself. Because I don't put no unclean thing before me. I'm not letting stuff get in my ears. I'm not hanging around with crowds that can influence my integrity of my walk with God. 
because my life is my worship. And the more I worship, the more I begin to make a demand on who he is. The rain of God begins to fall in my life. And as the rain falls, the river begins to swell. It gets deeper. So I don't become a product of my culture. I don't become a product of society. But I become a light bearer, image bearer. That's what the message Bible says. We become light bearers. And we take this thing public because we're going after the lost. We're going after the hurting. We're going after the broken. We're going after those who've been disenfranchised. We're going after them not with a message of relevance. We're going after them with the gospel of Jesus Christ that can turn hearts and make people whole again. Come on one more time all over the building. Let your worship ascend. Let your worship ascend. Let it ascend. Let it ascend. Let it ascend. Come on, will you tell him how much you love him? Come on, take about 30 seconds and breathe on him. Come on, breathe on him. are getting heavy. The glory, the glory is dropping over lives. The river is rising. The river's rising. There it is. There it is. There it is. Cry 
struggling with homosexuality. Some are in relationships where they're fornicating. I just want you to know the people that are on a journey with God, this message is not a condemnation. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. And there are people that have blown it, messed up, that are struggling. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm sensitive to that because I am not perfect. You don't believe me, just come to this little lady's life right here and ask her about three things about me, and she won't hesitate to tell you what ain't right. But we're on this journey, and there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. But my responsibility is to repent. Repent doesn't mean I keep going back. Repent means to change your direction and move into another direction. So when I repent, I don't go back to what I've been repenting from. I repent and I go closer to Him. So we're on this journey. And the best thing you can do when you're on that journey is stay tight to the house of God. Stay in real tight to the people of God. Because I promise you, there ain't nobody throwing stones at nobody in this house. If they are, point them out to me and I'll throw them back. I'm telling you. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not, we're not, we're not pointing out people's sins. You're not, you're not God. You're not the Holy Ghost. Yeah, they just act better. No, we're not doing that. We're not pointing out where people are struggling and failing. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And as people repent and respond to the Holy Spirit, their rivers begin to rise. Here's the thing about God. The closer you get to him, the less he lets you get away with. The closer you get, the less I get to get away with. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather deal with somebody that's fornicating than an old nasty, loud mouth, rebellious, hard, offended Christian. That don't believe they got to change because they ain't never done nothing wrong. <laughs> Y'all just look at me, everybody, straight ahead, straight ahead, straight ahead. But we're going to be revived. How many feel that in this room today? Whew. I know it's heavy. I told you in the beginning it's going to be heavy. I tried to, I tried to qualify it. It's going to be heavy. But I'm telling you, you got to get heavy so we can attack it and then let the Holy Spirit begin to reveal things. Amen. Father, I speak over your people. 
I speak life. I speak blessing. And I speak prosperity. Lord, I thank you at the altar service earlier today. Miracles were being dropped in people's laps. Mindsets were being shifted and changed. People were being clothed in their right mind. Family members were being restored back to their original place. Lord, there was, a, there was miracles at the altar already today. Lord, we just capture that moment and we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for a blessed week with your people. Bless them coming in and bless them going out. Make them the head and not the tail. And we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Love on somebody real good before you leave today. Let them know that you love them today. God bless you.